Welcome to Zootown. Uh, we're just so excited about what God is doing uh, here at this church. Uh, if this is your, your first time or you've just uh, been coming recently, we want to extend a special welcome to you. So excited to have you. Uh, these are exciting times for this church. Um, just even the last few weeks, not only months, but in the last few weeks, just what we've seen in so many people's lives. We had baptisms just a few weeks ago, and uh, we had a four-plus-hour church service a couple weeks ago right here. Some of you guys hung out for all of it and booed me when I tried to stop. Um, you're the party people. Um, and just to hear the amazing stories of, of how God is touching lives of individuals in this church, um, there was almost, I think, 60 between Thursday night and Sunday morning, uh, people that got baptized, and we got to hear their stories of, of how Jesus is impacting them, touching their lives, and uh, so cool. And then last weekend was was Easter, and it's just, it's tough to beat Easter Sunday, Easter weekend, Good Friday services, and uh, exciting times here at Zootown. Last week, Todd preached. Um, if you guys missed last Thursday night, you missed a, a great night. Todd preached, he let me go to, to Charlie, uh, our five-year-old daughter, her Kindergarten America program, and uh, she today is still a fanatic of singing Grand Old Flag. You're a Grand Old Flag. I walk home, and she is, actually my wife is belting out at the top of her lungs, you're a grand old flag with Charlie. Um, welcome to my world. Um, but uh, Todd preached last week. It was awesome. It was incredible. I was here, able to hear it at the 9 o'clock service. Um, hopefully we get it online. If you missed it, you can hear it soon. Uh, Todd's not here for this service, but um, he's incredible, and he's an amazing guy. He does so much work for this church behind the scenes. Uh, Scott and I get the most stage time, and Todd doesn't, but he does so much for this church. It's such an honor to have him alongside of us. And uh, if you are 18 to 28-year-old, which is most of you, I won't look at the couple of you that aren't. Um, we all know you're here. Uh, <laughs> if you're 18 to 28 years old uh, and you're not involved, <laughs> he's just pretty much, okay, it's me. Give it up for the, the not, tw- I'm 28. I can go to underground for a couple more weeks. Um, if you, uh, and I will join those that uh, were, were the intruders on the 9 o'clock service or something. Um, but at 18, 28-year-olds, the rest of you, if you're not involved in Underground, it's our, our young adults ministry, uh, Tuesday nights, I can't encourage you enough to get involved. Uh, Todd's the, the pastor of that, the leader of that. It's incredible, Tuesday night, 7 o'clock at our other location. And uh, once again, Sundays are at our other location as well. And we got two pastors, two churches, two campuses, one church, one heart. It's a mess, but we're, we're loving this mess called Zootown Church, and uh, we're excited that you are a part of it as well. Um, if you have your Bibles tonight, would you please open them to Matthew chapter 26? If you don't have your Bible tonight, uh, we're going to put all the scriptures up on the screen, and Adam is actually going to be putting all the scriptures up on the screen, and Adam is getting a back massage from Joe at this point in time. Our volunteers for clicking the buttons are going to go through the roof if you continue to give massages for the button clickers. Um, Joe, you are amazing. Look at you go. Um, That's just really cool. I want one. Um, We'll put all the scriptures up here on the screen. For those of you that haven't been here or just been coming recently, we are in the midst, actually near the tail end of a series called From Simon to Peter. And uh, it is, we started it back in January, and it's still going. And uh, I think I'm going to shut it down 
uh, in just a couple of weeks. I think we could go for a few more months, but I think we're going to shut it down. Because I didn't tell the 7 o'clock service this, but uh, this summer, I'm pretty sure Scotty and I are going to be preaching a series together. And uh, I need to be ready to start when he's ready to start. So we might shut her down early. Um, so we got a couple more weeks of the Simon to Peter series. To catch you up on Simon to Peter, there was this guy named Simon. His name was Simon, and his name, is there a, a ringing? Am I the only one hearing it? Okay. Uh, I hear this high-pitched buzz, or not buzz, just this. Okay, I'm not losing my mind. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Draylen. Thank you. I would have never thought to go back there and push a button. Like, there's something wrong. Fix it. Uh, thank you. Um, a couple more weeks. <laughs> My best days. You did. Thank you. How old are you? No, I don't. Because 56 is obviously still young enough, so we're good to go. I got, I got a lot of good years ahead of me. Thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, Simon. We're talking about Simon. He, uh, he was born Simon. His name meant unstable, inconsistent, like a reed blowing in the wind, and his behavior matched it. Uh, but Jesus comes along. And he, he starts spending time with this guy named Simon. And Jesus says, I'm going to change your name from Simon to Peter. And Peter meant rock, meant stable, foundational. And we see Peter's not just his name transition, but we see his behavior change. He becomes this amazing leader of the church. We read his story throughout Acts, and it's amazing what this ordinary guy was able to do. God used him in mighty, powerful ways. And it's not because he was born with these, these special natural abilities and talents. It's not because he had special education and training. It's because he spent time with Jesus. And it's so good, so encouraging, that each and every one of us has the ability to transition from Simon to Peter, regardless of your abilities, your training, or your education, if you will spend time with Jesus. And we're seeing it happen all over the place. Um, how, how people who are, are meeting Jesus, some of you meeting Jesus, and you're being an influence in this community, that you still feel like, well, I haven't known Jesus very long, but I've had meeting after meeting the last couple of weeks and going, listening to all the baptism stories. To give you guys some credit, those baptism stories, yeah, maybe it was at a church service where they heard a certain message that, that kind of prompted them to make the jump, but those friends of yours don't come without you being Simon to Peter. Uh, that you are that connection, that is your platform, that is you occupying the areas of influence that you have, that God is taking a bunch of us who still look like Simons, and he's using you to build this church. And I'm so proud of you, and I'm so excited to be a part of this. So we're looking at these interactions between Jesus and this guy named Simon Peter, what Jesus said, what Jesus did, how it affected him, and applying it to our lives. Tonight we're going to look at another one of these interactions, Matthew chapter 26, we're going to start in verse 36. We're going to go through 46. We're going to read it all together. This story that we're about to read, you can also find it in, in the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Luke. We're only going to read tonight Matthew's, but you can glean some other details of this story in those other two Gospels. And uh, you can go ahead and read those anytime on your own and learn some more about this. But we're going to focus on Matthew's account here. Matthew 26, starting in verse 36, it says, Then Jesus went with them, meaning his disciples, to the olive grove or garden called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. 
Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little further and bowed down with his face to the ground, praying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Verse 40. Then he returned to the disciples and he found them asleep. He said to Peter, Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body or the flesh is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. Then he returned to them again. He found them sleeping again, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Then he came to his disciples and said, go ahead and sleep, have your rest, but look, the time has come. Meaning, you can sleep later, rest will be later. Right now, there's a time that has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. And we'll stop there tonight. This is a crazy story of Jesus taking his disciples. He's got 11 of them at this point. Judas has already left to, to go betray him. He's got 11 of his disciples. He leaves eight of them behind at the the entrance of the garden, and he takes his three, Peter, James, and John. He takes them a little bit further. And uh, Peter, James, and John are in the midst of this whole story. Because we're doing a study on Peter, we're going to be looking and talking about him more specifically. But all three of them are there, and three times Jesus says, I want you to pray. Instead, Peter falls asleep. He comes back, wakes him up. He goes to sleep, wakes him up, goes back to sleep. And then in the conclusion, Jesus comes to him. He wakes him up, and he finally says, wake up. Let's go. I want to talk to you tonight on that subject of of wake up, let's go. Would you do me a favor? Would you look at someone next to you and will you say the two words, wake up? Will you look at somebody else and say, let's go? Let's go. Those are two words that are becoming more and more popular in the Zootown vocabulary. Uh, People just keep walking around saying, let's go, or taking it up a notch and saying, Let's go, baby. Uh, you hear a lot of that around here. I don't know. if Does Sawyer get credit for this? Or he's not here. Where did he go? He was just hooting and hollering about Jesus a minute ago, and now he's, he's, he's gone. If you, <laughs> he's sleeping. Wake up. Uh, I want to remind you, we, uh, we are a responsive church. We're an interactive church. This is not a lecture. This is not a library. Uh, we are not at school. We are... We're at church, and we can be interactive. You can say things like, let's go, come on, that's good, amen, yeah. Um, I wasn't nearly as manly as you're, yeah, but I tried. Um, I even threw out a Lil John reference in the first service. Um, slow down for what? Is that what he says? Turn down, turn down. Did I say slow or turn in first service? Anybody know? Did I say it right? Yeah! <laughs> Turn down for what? You can say whatever you want. Uh, we're a responsive church, and uh, I'm excited to talk about Jesus and not just little John here tonight. Would you bow your heads, pray? We're going to jump into the scripture. Jesus, we love you. Uh, we thank you for, for your goodness. We thank you for your grace and your generosity. Father, I pray that tonight as we, we examine this story, as we look at this, this scripture, I pray that we leave here tonight seeing the goodness and the grace of Jesus. God, I know that there are are so many that have been slumbering, that have been sleeping. And I pray that tonight is the night where you tap us on our shoulders and you say, wake up, let's go. God, I believe that's the calling that it was for Peter 2,000 years ago in a garden. And I believe it's the calling for Zootown Church and all the individuals in this room here tonight that you are speaking to us. Simply wake up, let's go. 
I pray that tonight we, we respond to that call. We respond to the mission and the purpose that you have us in this city. God, I pray that we see the weight that you took, the punishment that you took, and it liberates us and it gives us freedom and it gives us passion to walk forth, to be on mission, to be in the zoo. We love you. We're so grateful to be here at church tonight. You're an awesome God. It's your name we're gathered. It's in your name we pray. And Zoo Town said, Amen. Amen. Um, I don't know about you, but we've probably all fallen asleep at some point in time in, in a less than ideal place. Um, in fact, it's it's kind of awkward when you fall asleep at any place that's like not your bed. Uh, falling asleep is, in public settings is, is not the best. We've probably all fallen asleep in school. Some of you today probably fell asleep in school. Um, I don't know if you've ever fallen asleep at work or if you've fallen asleep at church. If you grew up in church, maybe you had one of those experiences. Uh, hopefully tonight isn't the night that you fall asleep in church. Um, I was watching a sports center the other night. Uh, I like sports and I like to to tune down to the end of the night watching some sports center, And uh, they were showing uh, highlights of the Red Sox-Yankees baseball game. Now, Red Sox-Yankees is like the biggest rivalry in sports. And, and this, is a big, this is a big game. And on national television, this, this, this man was filmed. And then later for, throughout SportsCenter, they kept referring to this guy and showing it for the whole world to see. Would you throw up this picture of this guy at the Yankees-Red Sox baseball game? Totally crashed out. It doesn't look like he just recently fell asleep either. Like he's, he's not just nodding. He's, he's gone. And I love that this is, this is only the fourth inning. Like it's not like extra innings. It's not the middle of the night. This is the fourth inning and he's gone. He's zonked out. The guy eating the chicken finger doesn't look so strong either. <laughs> it's like smelling it in his sleep. Um, but this guy, I just think... How much money did this dude just pay to watch a Red Sox-Yankees game? How much time did he take off of work so we could drive there through traffic in time, find a place to park, pay a ridiculous amount of money for parking, find his way to his chair simply to fall asleep and have the whole world laughing at him, uh, falling asleep in, in public? Um, I don't know about you, but I have a hard time falling asleep in intense situations. Uh, it's not your typical place to fall asleep. Um, but Danny, she can fall asleep like during intense movies and TV shows, and it just confuses me. I, I can't not only fall asleep, but I get so wrapped into like thriller movies and stressful situations that I literally forget to breathe. Uh, and I'm not making this up. We, we watched this show, Prison Break, for a while. We watched the, it had four seasons. And it is so suspenseful, this guy trying to break out of prison. And they're like 45-minute episodes. And I literally would watch this entire episode. The credits would start rolling. And I'd look at Danny and be like, <gasps> like I, what am I, I didn't breathe for 45 minutes. Like, what was I doing? And I'm just about to pass out because I just, I forget to breathe when I'm watching these shows. And, uh, and so I get really on edge if there's something suspenseful on the television. And, uh, and Danny, she's, she doesn't get it. She, and so the other, a while back we were watching this intense movie, and, and it's at this really intense part. My heart is just beating through my chest, and I'm just, like, destroying the popcorn and Doritos, and I'm just, like, on the edge of my seat just into it. And I know that Danny is, like, reclining, but I'm, like, leaning forward, not breathing, shoving food down my throat, and this crazy moment happens. It's really extreme. It's really intense. And then it calms down, and I take a look at Danny. She's like, did you see that? And she's just, I was like, how can you sleep in a moment like this? This is so intense. This is so riveting. And you, you are sleeping. I don't know how a person could sleep in such an intense situation. Um, 
Maybe, like me, you have experiences where you've been in church long enough or when you were young enough or you were in a church that wasn't uh, really engaging and you found yourself falling asleep even in church. Or you fell asleep when you were intending to pray. Anybody ever drift to sleep when your intention was to pray? Next thing you know, you're sucking foam on your pillow. Uh, This happens. I don't know why I said that. Not in notes. Because um, I was thinking about the chair story, and that was that I'm about to tell you, and I was sucking foam. I don't know, it's so weird. <laughs> Nine o'clock's a whole other story, I'm telling you. Um, I remember this one time where uh, my dad was was a youth pastor when I was growing up, and I was in junior high. We had a, we had a Wednesday morning prayer service before school, starting at six a.m. And, and my dad would make us leave extra early, so we would run to the store, grab him a coffee and some donuts, and take it to prayer. So we were up ungodly hours every Wednesday morning, me and my brother, and there was no option whether we're going to go to prayer or not, because dad forces us to go, makes us go. He's, we go to school from there. There's, there's no option but to go to this early morning prayer service. And, and I remember going to these prayer services, and we would gather together at the front, and we'd have some direction on, on prayer and pray together, and then we could all disperse, and we could go to different parts of the room, and, and some of us would sit down or walk, or we just have our own quiet time with God, our own private prayer time with God. But so often I'd find myself like walking and praying, and it was great, and then I'd be like, I'm kind of tired, I'm going to sit down. And then sitting turned into like slouching, turned into slumping, turned into just face down, sucking foam. Is that what I said? <laughs> sucking foam, the chair, uh, face down on the chair. This would happen. I'd find myself just drifting to sleep. So rather than finding ways to stay awake, It was now my new game as a junior high boy to figure out ways that I could fall asleep, but it looks like I'm in a position of prayer. Uh, This this was my new game. Uh, Because I'm so tired, I'm going to sleep. Is there any way that I could kneel just right and just have my head bowed and fall asleep with my hands folded and them not move? Like, can I... Can I do that? And this was, this was my weekly challenge of what position can I, can I get in where I can sleep and look like I'm praying. And uh, it, it was, I didn't tell anybody this, but it was obviously in my mind, this is my genuine intention. There was this one time where I, I, uh, I was laying down, face down on the chairs, which <laughs> obviously you're probably going to go to sleep. Uh, it's six in the morning. This is my typical prayer position the rest of the day. And I'm just laying face down on the chairs. And I figured, I don't know what I was thinking, if I could keep like one foot up and maybe like wiggle it every once in a while, uh, people walking by would assume I'm praying instead of sleeping. I was the smartest junior high boy. Um, and so I'm laying there, and I remember laying there, and I've got kind of my arms crossed, my head down, and uh, I've got my feet up in the air, and I'm trying to remember to like wiggle them every once in a while. And, uh, and I'm laying there, and, and I obviously completely fall asleep. And I hear my dad wrapping up the prayer service. Why don't we all gather up front? And, and that's where you kind of like shake off the cobwebs and, and, and pretend like you're, you were awake. And so I remember laying there. I'm waking up, just laying there face down. My eyes are closed, and uh, I'm like, all right, it's time to get going. I've got to make sure that nobody knows I'm asleep. And I open my eyes, and as I'm looking down through the crack of the chair, I can see that there is a, there's someone sitting right behind me. So I'm like, okay, well, maybe I'll just wait for them to go. And I ended up being this high school girl that was sitting there right behind me, and she, she wasn't moving. She wasn't going. And I was like, well, at some point I have to sit up, or else everyone's going to know I'm sleeping because I didn't even sit up when it was time to close. So I'm fighting through this dilemma, and I was like, she's not moving, she's not moving. And so I remember just, like, adjusting and mumbling, like, amen. Like, that was a good prayer. And, uh, and I began to, to sit up. 
And I was like, just act like you got it all together. Just own it, that you were praying. And so I, I sit up, and I just, like, smile at her, and she looks at me. And uh, I realize in an instant that uh, it's probably going to be obvious because I have this drool of, uh, this, this string of drool hanging from my mouth all the way down to the chair. And there's this huge puddle of drool on the chair. And she looks at me. We follow the drool strand to the pool of, of, of saliva on the chair. And for some reason, I'm just like, I like, brush it off and just like slide over and sit on it. <laughs> I'm like, what? You saw nothing. Like, I'm just, and I just sit there on this drool until she leaves. Like, found myself falling asleep during prayer. We see in this story Peter in an intense moment where it seems ridiculous to fall asleep. And in a moment of, of, of prayer, in a moment of passion and in pursuit of Jesus, we find him not once or twice, but three times falling asleep. That the intention, the call was to prayer, the moment was intense, the moment was critical, and yet he, he finds himself sleeping. We, to give some context to what's going on right here, if you have your Bibles open, you can see the very verse above this. If you look at verses uh, 34 and 35, um, no, that was the wrong verses, what, what am I doing? Yeah, 34 and 35. 34 and 35, at the end of dinner, Jesus is having a conversation with Peter, and he says to Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter says in verse 35, uh, no, even if I have to die, I'm not going to deny you. And then the very next verse, they are walking towards prayer. So the very last words that have been said is Jesus telling Peter, temptation is coming. Telling Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Peter says, no, I'm strong enough. I'm good enough. I'm not going to do it. I'm with you. I'm going to do what it takes. He's relying on how far he's come. And he says, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to falter. I'm not going to fall. And so Jesus, from that conversation, he gets his disciples in, and they head towards this, this garden, this place that was a common place for Jesus to go pray at the end of the day. He leaves eight of the disciples. Judas is, is off betraying him. He leaves eight of them there, and he takes Peter, James, and John a little bit further. And he takes them, and, and uh, he, he begins in this moment starting to, to break down. He starts showing his emotion. It says that uh, he, he, he became anguished. And distressed. That this is a sight of Jesus that Peter hasn't seen very much. Maybe ever. Peter has seen Jesus in a lot of contexts. But he hasn't seen this anguish and this distress. That, that Jesus is now visibly shaken. He's, he's letting his emotions out. And he even begins to speak here. He says this to Peter. He's, he's told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. This is a pretty dramatic expression. Stay here and keep watch with me. Which this is, especially when you look at Mark and Luke, this is a, an obvious call to prayer. He's not just saying, keep a lookout. He's saying, I want you to pray. I want you to keep watch, and I want you to pray. Peter had to have recognized the intensity of this moment. That Jesus, their leader, he is visibly shaken. I believe the, the tone of his voice is so dramatic, is so sincere. What Jesus is, is expressing here. That this is an intense moment, and Peter had to recognize the urgency of Jesus when Jesus says, uh, not only have I talked about the day is coming where I'm going to be turned over and I'm going to be killed. He says, it's here. I'm crushed with grief. This is, this is really getting to me. Will you keep watch? Peter has to recognize the intensity of this, and yet he falls asleep. Verse 39 says that Jesus goes on a little bit further, and he bows down with his face to the ground, and he prays, my father, if it is possible... Let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. I think this prayer is so 
interesting in a few ways. For one, it, it reveals to us the humanity of Jesus. That yes, he was fully God, but he is, he is fully man. That he understands what he is about to approach, and it is shaken him. He, he, is, he is grieved. He is crushed, crushed. He is stressed. He is struggling in this moment. I love that it reveals to us that he was operating in his humanity. That he wasn't just God. He was man. And it says that he understands, he knows the cup of suffering, as he calls it, that he is about to drink, that he's about to partake of. And he even says to his father, he says to God, is there a way that this cup of suffering can be taken away from me? I believe that God could have answered this prayer and provided a different way. But he chose not to. This is what I believe, that that sin... Sin requires the punishment of death. We know that the wages, the punishment, the penalty of sin is death. That sin had existed, that humanity had fallen, humanity had sinned, and there was a penalty that had to be paid. And that penalty is is death, that this cup of suffering is, is death, but not just physical death. This is separation from the presence and the glory of God. The very presence that sustains life and that gives life, that Jesus was going to have to pay that price. That what was going to be happening, and Jesus, he even says it on the cross, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That the penalty of, of sin wasn't just that Jesus had to physically die on a cross, it was that he had to suffer the agony of being separated from God. That God himself was going to turn his back on Jesus. And so Jesus is saying, is there any way that we can go about this without having to, to have you turn your back on me? Is there any way we can go about this without having to, to suffer the agony of being separated from your presence? And I believe that there was an option, but the only other option is that humanity would have to do that. God says, yeah, there, there, there is a way. It's either Jesus, you pay for this, or humanity pays for this. But for God loved the world so much, he gave his son Jesus to take that punishment to take that place, to take that penalty, that Jesus endured the cross, went to the cross, suffered the cross, and not just the physical but the spiritual aspect of being separated from God so that you and I don't have to. That this is, this is something more than I could ever imagine. This is something more than we could ever deserve, that Jesus would take that on himself. And what I love about this is that God himself says, you know what, this is, this is our plan. He says, this cross, this, this, this moment of, of separation from me, this you paying for the penalty of sin, this is our plan for the redemption of humanity, that Jesus, we go through with this, and humanity, humanity doesn't have to. God made the cross a big deal. He made the cross the, the focal point of, of redemption for mankind. Therefore, I, I declare and, and I believe that us as a church and as individuals, that we too must make much of the cross. I just want to take a little side note here, and I know that there are a lot of secondary issues and theological issues and doctrinal belief systems that are important, that it's important to know what you believe and why you believe it, and it's important to study that, and it is awesome to talk about it, and I'm all about talking about it, but we cannot and will not allow these secondary issues of theology to become what we stand for, what we live for, and what we die for. We will make the main thing the main thing, and that main thing is Jesus on the cross. I love how Paul he debated theology and he taught scripture and he taught doctrine and he just goes after it for years teaching the church what is right, what is true in so many different dynamics of life. But at the end of the day, he finally settles on one thing. He says, you know what, all this debate, all this theology talk was fine. It 
was good. This is what I think. But this is what I'm settling on. One thing I know. One thing I'm sure of. And that is Jesus Christ crucified. He makes much of Jesus. He makes much of the cross. That God, he makes the cross the focal point. Therefore, we as individuals and we as a church must also make the cross our focal point. That we cannot be distracted by secondary issues. And we can't fall to to, to the enemy's desire that we would just bicker and debate over secondary issues. And make that our focus and forget the mission and the purpose of the cross. As soon as the enemy can get us fighting about secondary issues of theology. Rather than the the passion of Jesus that the lost be found. He wins. That we we end up joining his side of doing nothing in our community. Because we've been sidetracked from the centrality of the cross. Verse 40, it says that Jesus, he prays this prayer and then he returns to the disciples and he finds them asleep. And he says to Peter, he says, Peter, couldn't you watch with me even for one hour? It's interesting to note that in Matthew it says, it just, Jesus comes to him and just says, couldn't you watch with me for even one hour? If you look at Mark's account, it's Mark chapter 14. When Mark says this phrase, it It says that Jesus came to Peter, and he says, Simon, couldn't you keep a watch with me for for one hour? That he uses Peter's former name. He says, says, Simon, Mark, the writer of this gospel, of of Mark's gospel, he he was not an eyewitness of Jesus. He wasn't an eyewitness to these stories. He, He researched, and he got firsthand information that he put down in his book. And his primary source, the person who gave him eyewitness information to his documentation of the life of Jesus, was this guy named Simon Peter. That Peter, he goes and he tells Mark the stories. And Mark writes them down and he documents for us. Meaning that there was a point in time where Peter sits down with Mark. And he goes over this story. And as Mark is writing it down, in Peter's recall of those moments, he says, yes, we were in the garden. And he told me to keep watching and to pray, and I fell asleep. And Jesus, he comes back, and when he taps me on the shoulder and he wakes me up, he says to me, Simon. He called me by my old name. He called me unstable. He, 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 he called me Simon, which says to me that in, these, in this moment where, where Peter had his confidence on how far he'd come, he had his confidence that, no, look, look how good I am now. There's no way I would ever deny you. And when he is called to move forward, to keep a passion on the mission of Jesus, to keep an eye on on the purpose of the cross that Jesus is approaching, in those moments he he falls asleep. And he he puts his confidence in who he's become. And it's like Jesus comes to him in these moments and says, as soon as you take your eyes off of me, as soon as you stop keeping watch and you stop praying, you revert back to Simon. That you might feel confident, but the truth is you're entirely unstable. That you and I, we are only Peter when we are unified with the purpose and the mission of Jesus to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus, he is on mission. He knows where he's going. He knows the plan of redemption of the cross. And as soon as we put our confidence in who we've become rather than where we're going, we revert back to Simon. Now it's, it's great to acknowledge how far God has brought us. Simon Peter had come so far in three years. But the moment he gets to the place of just celebrating and relaxing, on how far Jesus has already brought him, rather than having a passionate focus for the future, he went back to Simon. This, is, this reveals a couple things to us. For one, and this might sound like a bummer, this means if we want to live as Peter, 
we never have the, the opportunity to take our eyes back off of Jesus. There's never a time where we are not passionate about the ways that God is using us in the future. That there is never the opportunity for us to just start coasting in our faith, to just attend church and to just be a consumer. That we never get to that point. You never graduate. You never get to the point where now that you're Peter, you get to be Peter forever. The truth is, as soon as we start coasting, as soon as we start just relaxing in who Jesus has transformed us in today, thinking that that's enough, that we've put forth enough effort, we immediately revert back to Simon. We never get to quit. Until the day we are in the presence of Jesus in heaven, it is our mission, it is our, our, our mandate to keep our eyes fixed on, focused on him. But the good news is, as Hebrews 12.2 says, as we talk about every week, that if we fix our eyes on Jesus, he's not just the author, but he's the perfecter of our faith. Meaning that no matter what you've gone through, no matter what your next series of years looks like, our best days are always ahead of us. That as long as you're looking at Jesus, as long as you're on board with his mission, as long as you aren't just celebrating the past, but you have a passion for the future, the future only gets better, it only gets brighter. That's why I stand confidently saying that as great as Zootown Church is today, as great as what God is doing in our lives today, our best days are still ahead of us. Yes, I want to celebrate baptisms. I want to celebrate what happened at Easter. I want to celebrate how many people are, are coming and putting faith in Jesus. But as soon as we say, look at this, this is awesome, we no longer have a mission to be passionate about, we go back to a bunch of Simons that get nothing done. Jesus says, you know, you keep watch. You keep looking at me. You keep praying. You keep being on board with my mission. And we, we will continue to look at Jesus. He will continue to grow. He will continue to perfect us. And our best days are still ahead of us. He says, Simon, I want you to, to keep watch. Couldn't you keep watch even for one hour? Verse 41, he says, keep watch and pray. So that you will not give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. It's easy to just to take this, this first part of this, to, to keep watch, to pray, do this, put forth this effort, and not understand the purpose behind it. Yes, we know that we should be attentive. Yes, we know we should be praying. But Jesus gives a reason why. And it's not what I necessarily expected. He says, I want you to keep watch, and I want you to pray so that you will not give in to temptation. This is not uh, telling Peter that there's going to be a freedom from temptation. In fact, that temptation is, is coming his way. I believe us as followers of Jesus, and just because you have a, a sincerity for Jesus or you've been baptized in the last few weeks, that it doesn't mean that now you've graduated from temptation. It actually means you're, you're inviting it into your life. That the enemy is ready to, 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 to wage war against you, to form an attack against you, to bring temptation your way. And Jesus says, I want you to pray. I, I, I know that temptation is coming your way, but I, I want you to pray so that you don't give in to it, so that you can overcome it. He says, watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. When Jesus, in this, this moment, I feel like he could come to Peter and say, I want you to watch and I want you to pray because don't you see my trial? Don't you see my anguish? Don't you see how I'm crushed? I need you to pray for my benefit. That he doesn't at all come to Peter and say, I need you to pray for my benefit. He comes to Peter and he says, I want you to pray for your benefits. He wanted Peter to pray for, for Peter's benefits. Did you know that God doesn't need my prayers in order to move? That in fact... I need my prayers. Did you know that God isn't up there waiting, needing you to pray in order to move? That, that in fact, you need your prayers? Who are we to think that, uh, 
that God is, is being dictated by how much I do or don't pray. As soon as God is dictated by the words that, that I pray and I contrive, he's no longer God. I want to tell you that God is on the move. He is building his church. He is calling people towards him. And he is not up there wringing his hands, wishing Zootown Church would pray more so he could actually get something done. He's saying, I wish Zootown Church would pray more. And I wish the individuals would pray more, not for my benefit, but for theirs. Because I don't want them to give in to temptation. I know the purpose and the plan and the calling I have for their lives. I know I've put them in the zoo. And if they don't pray and if they give in to temptation, they are going to be weak. And it's going to separate them from the passions that I have for them. And he says, for your benefit, I want you to pray. For your benefit, I want you to look at me. That Jesus, his his call in your life and in my life to pray, to pursue him, to keep our eyes on him isn't because he's stressed out about how he's going to accomplish his work in this world. It's because he wants you to be on board and he wants you to join in what he's got for you. That Jesus wasn't demanding better behavior, better performance for his own benefit. He knew what was best for Peter because he had such love and compassion for Peter. There was an urgency to call him to prayer. When Jesus looks at you, he doesn't ask you to do more because he needs it for his benefit. He's a big boy. He can take care of himself. He's asking you to, to, to be invested and to pursue him and to spend time with him and to seek him and to talk to him and, and commune with him for your benefit. He's so motivated by love for you and compassion for you and he sees the purposes for your life that he comes with you. He comes to you with an urgency. Would you watch? Would you look to me? Would you pray? Would you talk with me? Because I have what's best in store for you. And then he brings this encouraging statement. He says, Peter, your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. I think this is, this is so encouraging. He says, Peter, you're, you're sleeping. Your behavior is obviously not very good. But I see that your spirit is willing. I love that Jesus brings that up. I think it's a central component to this story that, that he says that your spirit is in the right place. I know that you want to do what's right. I know you want to look at me. I know that you want to be used by me. But, but there's still this battle of the flesh. I don't know but, about you, but uh, I know that I find myself feeling a lot like this. That I could be labeled much like Peter, that, that I have this, this willing spirit. But I feel like when I actually start fleshing it out, walking it out, that it seems a lot more difficult. That, yeah, I want to spend more time with Jesus. I want to spend more time in prayer. I, I agree with the mission of Jesus. It's inside of me. I want to be in the zoo. I want to be seeing the city changed and, and transformed and meeting Jesus. Like, I genuinely have that desire. But is anyone else like me and is anyone else like Peter that when it actually comes to the point of doing something about it, you're like, I just feel entire, entirely powerless. Like, how do I actually go and do that? Like, I want it. I want to see this people, the, the people of this city get to know Jesus. I want to see him change, but how do I actually go about doing it? I feel entirely powerless. My spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak. And I love what Jesus tells us in this story. Is that it doesn't come by you just putting forth more effort and more work. That it comes by watching and praying. It comes by looking at Jesus and communing with him. He says, the battle is won, Peter. Not by you just being more disciplined and hearing more sermons and, and, and reading more. And it comes by you keeping your eyes on me. You actually watching and talking with me. How easy is that? 
that what we are expected to do and the way that we can find our victory is, is not by working harder, but by watching and praying. I'm reading this book right now by Fred Renich, I think is how you say his name. And I put this quote up for you. It says this, The battle is won, not by fighting harder, but by leaning steadier. That the more we lean on and we rely and we rest on Jesus, that's where we find our victory. So often we feel like, man, I, I have this passion inside of me. I agree, so i got to go out there and i got to try and i got to work and i got to put forth effort. When all the while Jesus is saying, no, Peter, I'm not asking you to fight the battle. I'm asking you to watch. I'm asking you to pray. I'm asking you to have, have communion with me, to be talking with me. I love the song that we sing around here a lot that says, uh, my flesh may fail, but, but my God, you, you never will. I was just, this song came to my mind today as I was studying that. My flesh may fail, but my God, you never will. I think that we could easily change the, the words of that song. Like, my flesh, not might, but will fail. My flesh, my flesh is going to fail tomorrow. Uh, my flesh is currently failing really bad right now. But my God, you never will. Uh, we are constantly, the reality is our flesh is constantly failing. That our flesh doesn't have it in in and of itself to accomplish what the Spirit desires. That my flesh is failing, but our God, he, he never will. So where do we put our confidence? Who are we to start putting our confidence in something we know will fail? Well, no, I'm not going to deny you. No, I, I'm, I'm good to go. That Look how far we've come. Look how much I've learned. Look how much I've studied. Look how faithful I've been to church. Like, I, I'm not going to fail. No, our flesh is going to fail, but our God, he, he never will. I know that it's... I find myself much like Peter. I can find myself quick to action and quick to defense. We see, I think we're going to talk about this next week. We see in just the next couple of verses, as these people come to arrest Jesus, Peter takes out a sword and he starts hacking at people. Chops this dude's ear off. Uh, Like, Peter, he is quick to action. He's quick to defend Jesus. But he finds himself sluggish to, to pray. I don't know if, if you can can relate to him. I know that I can, where it seems so easy to, to go to action for Jesus. Man, I, I can find myself being disciplined to put in my hours of study for, for a sermon I'm going to preach and to schedule meetings with people and, and to plan all of these events. And, and I can find it easy to go to action. And I can find it easy to defend myself of what I believe in Jesus when someone disagrees, but I also find myself sluggish to times of prayer personal intimacy with Jesus and, and making that a priority in my life. But this is where the power is. Jesus says to Peter, no, where you get your power is when you just simply look at me and you pray. I'm not asking you to be quick to action. In fact, put the sword away. I'm not asking you to defend me. I'm not asking you to just work harder. I'm asking you to look at me, to fix your eyes on me, and to pray. Verse 42, it says, then Jesus, he left them a second time, and he prayed. And he prays once again, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. I'm so grateful for Jesus concluding this prayer with complete submission to the purposes of God. I'm so grateful that the most powerful, passionate prayer from the most righteous man that ever lived, that he concluded it with, but I'm submitting wholly to your will. That he, he went through with what God had in store for him. Verse 43, it says, When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping again. For he couldn't keep their eyes open 
Mark 14 uh, indicates that Jesus wakes him up and calls him to pray once again. It actually says in Mark 14 that, that Peter, he, he didn't even know what to say. He didn't know how to reply. For maybe the first time in the story of Peter, we see him just completely speechless, which is probably good because he usually says something stupid, and then Jesus calls him Satan, and it's this whole big drama recovery. So he's just like, I don't know, I fell asleep. He doesn't even know what to say. So verse 44, he's woken up again. It says that Jesus goes again for the third time, and he prays again, saying the same thing, praying to God once again about this cup of suffering, and I'm choosing to do your will. I believe in your purpose, that, that we're going to see mankind redeemed. I'm, a, I'm on board. This is tough, but, but your will be done. Draylon and worship team, if you guys want to come up. We see between these two verses, verses 43 and 44, I'm sorry, between 44 and 45, we see this dramatic shift in the demeanor of Jesus. Up to this point, we've seen Jesus completely rattled and shaken. We see him in anguish. We see in the, the other Gospels that he is, he's, he's sweating. In the middle of the night, he's sweating in his prayer. He's not just drooling, he's sweating. Like I, I have been the exact opposite of where Jesus is at. He is so intense in his prayer. But he's sweating. It even says he's sweating drops of blood. He's so intense. He's so, he's so rattled. He's, he's grieved. He's in anguish. And then we see this transition from him. Because he comes out here in verse, in verse 45. He says, then he came to his disciples. He said, go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. He responds entirely different this time. Jesus comes across so differently. And I don't know how I would act in a moment like this. When I'm going through so much distress, so much anguish, and I've asked my closest friends, my closest companions, will you keep watch? Will you pray? Will you be here for me? And they don't. Not just once or twice, but three times finding Peter asleep. I'm not sure what my response would be, but there's no way it would be as gracious as we're about to see Jesus. When Jesus has every right to come to Peter, like, are you kidding me? Are you still sleeping? Don't you see the, the, the distress that I'm in? And you can't, you can't stay awake, you can't pray. And when Jesus has every right to say, well, well I'm not including you anymore, rather than, than, than distancing Peter, he includes him. He says, Peter, I know you've been sleeping. I know you haven't been, been doing what I asked you to do. I know you've been slumbering. I know you're, you're, you're not contending. You're not praying. You're not looking at me. You're not seeking me. I know that you're not doing that. But that doesn't disqualify him. He says, Peter, I know it, but I want you to get up. And I want you to come with me. What I think, as we talked about a moment ago, why Peter isn't disqualified in this moment isn't because of anything but what Jesus said. He says, Peter, your spirit is willing. Your flesh is weak, but your spirit is willing. I love that it was his spirit, not his flesh, that qualified him. His flesh isn't behaving very well at this point in time. He's completely disregarding the passion of Jesus and just sleeping. What encourages me so much 
And the grace of Jesus that is real today as it was in this garden with Peter is he says that it is not your behavior that qualifies you, it's your belief. I know that some of you in here tonight, you're struggling because, because your behavior is struggling. Like, I, I don't feel good enough that God would want to use me, that Jesus would be mad at me. I love that we see, he says to Peter, and he says to you tonight, your spirit is willing. I know your flesh is weak. I know you still have addictions. I know you're still having trouble with that, that romance and those relationships. I know that you're dealing with issues. I know that your behavior isn't up to par, but thank God it's not our behavior that qualifies us to be used by him. If he was waiting for our behavior to get right, I would never pick up a microphone. If he was waiting for you to get your behavior right, you would never get on mission for what he has for you. That he looks at Peter, and he looks at you, and he says, if your spirit is willing, I, don't, I know you've been slumbering. I know I asked you to be living differently than you are right now, but wake up and let's go. He doesn't exclude you. He, he includes you. Look what, Peter, what praying did for Jesus. And how not praying, Peter totally misses out. Three times, Peter falls asleep. Three times that night, he denies he even knows Jesus. Yet three times, Jesus goes to intimate moments of prayer. Passionate moments of prayer. And that same night, three times, he's put on trial. Before Caiaphas, Herod, and Pilate. And all three times, he stands confident. We see... Peter gets questioned about Jesus. And Peter three times says, I don't even know the man. Three times Jesus squares up and says, I am that man. We see this confidence come inside of Jesus when he was just shaken. Rather than than running away from his betrayer, he squares his shoulders and walks towards him. He gets up and he embraces. There's this new boldness. There's this new confidence. There's this new uh, just passion that Jesus has. And he walks towards Jesus. His betrayer. What I love about this is while Peter is sleeping, Jesus is praying. While Peter is sleeping, Jesus gains the victory. And he comes to Peter. And he wakes Peter up. And he says to Peter, let's go. We got a mission. We got a purpose. He doesn't take any time to reprimand him. He doesn't take any time to belittle him, to get angry at him. He says, Peter, I know you've been sleeping, but it is time to wake up and it's time to get going. He says, I'm choosing you. I know that you're acting like Simon. I know that you've been sleeping, but I still see Peter and I still believe in you. I still have confidence in you and we are going to get up and we are going to get this mission done. I believe tonight that Jesus would come to you. And I know that some people in here, maybe you've been sleeping. Maybe you've been slumbering, but I want to let you know that while you're sleeping, Jesus is praying for you, and Jesus is preparing your victory. That Jesus, he himself, he comes and he he wins the victory, he's won the battle, and he walks towards the cross for you. Maybe tonight, you look at your life and you realize that you've been sleeping, you've been slumbering. I believe that tonight is the night where where Jesus is tapping on your shoulder. And I don't know what you expected from him, but he's not angry. He's not condemning you. He's simply saying, wake up. Let's go. You're still my rock. You're still how we're building this church. And it's not because you're doing so well. It's because while you were sleeping, I fought the victory. I paid the price. I did what you couldn't do. 
So now it's your job. Are you just going to wake up and get on mission with him knowing he's already paid the price? This is the goodness of Jesus. This is the grace of Jesus. Maybe tonight you're here and you don't even know Jesus. You haven't ever been looking at Jesus. Maybe tonight's the night where you wake up spiritually for the first time, that you've been alive, but you haven't really been living. You haven't experienced the fullness and the fulfillment and the purposes of Jesus. And tonight is the night where he's waking you up, and where you see Jesus, you look at him, and he's not angry at you. He's, he's ready to use you. He says, you, you're no longer Simon, you're Peter. Maybe you're here tonight, and, and you do know Jesus. You do have a relationship with him. You, you have come a long ways. You've been in church for a while. You, you've, you, you've been faithful to, to let him challenge and change you. But the truth is tonight, you like Peter after years of knowing Jesus and, and coming so far. In these intense moments of, of passion for the future, you find yourself just content, complacent, and, and honestly sleeping. Sleeping on the job, sleeping on the mission. I believe that tonight... Jesus is stirring inside of some of you, tapping you on the shoulder and saying, wake up. I still believe in you. You're still breathing oxygen because I still have a purpose for you. That it's not over. It's just time to wake up. It's time to get going. I'm going to ask you all, if you just stand up with me right now. We're going to worship for a few minutes. We'll close. We'll dismiss in a moment. I'm going to open up communion again if you if you want to take communion if you didn't before i'll let you know that danny and i were up here we want to pray with you if you have anything you want to pray for we're here for you maybe tonight is the night where you want to you want to wake up you want to get back in the game you want to get back on mission we'd love to pray with you if you got anything else going on in your life any issue with family any sicknesses any school stresses and anything we'd love to pray with you we're going to be here as long as you want to Draylon and the team is going to lead us in worship. We'll dismiss in a moment, but let's uh, spend some time worshiping and praying and looking at this Jesus who believes in you. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that when we're sleeping, you're fighting for the victory, that while we're sleeping, you're praying. I thank you that tonight you come to us, you, you tap us on the shoulder and say, I know you've been sleeping. I know your behavior hasn't been good, but let's get up and let's go. Let's be on mission. Let's be in the zoo. Father, we, we worship. We worship. We love you. We thank you that you believe in us. And we right now respond and say we believe in you. It's your name we pray. Amen.